Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for August 7th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you on the show tonight. Great show. I think for at least a third time as a guest on the show. Uh, Dr. Rachel Bittenkoffer is going to come on. Um, she is now based on the West Coast instead of out of Virginia, but I am going to ask her about Virginia at some point, um, uh, the, the elections looking back and how they look forward. But uh, we're excited to have her on, find out what she's doing out on the West Coast too as well. Uh, but until then, we have so much to talk about, and even though today's news is so colossal, um, we're going to not start there because on Tuesday, I think as far as projecting for elections and how the will of the American people feel, we got a huge indicator of that out of Kansas in the referendum about modifying the state's constitution. Now, Catherine, do you want to say the wording of what you know, or would you rather me set up what you know about that referendum wording? I don't know the referendum wording, so go ahead and set that up. Well, okay. My understanding, if Tim, if you find out, correct me if I'm wrong, is the state constitution has some protections um, for reproductive rights, for choices. And um, this referendum would be, could the um, legislature of Kansas make changes to that? And a yes vote was what we might, you know, loosely term a pro-life vote, let's say. And a no vote was for pro-choice, for protections of reproductive rights, kind of against what the Supreme Court uh, had decided in a way. And what a um, resounding you know, vote. It was an 18-point margin. 59% of the people voted no. 41% voted yes. And if you look at it, there were states where – Republican voters in some, you know, upwards of maybe 30 percent statewide voted no, assuming that every Democrat voted uh, – I'm sorry, assuming every Democrat voted no, and that probably is not correct. There were probably a few Democratic yes votes, so that shows you across the board how Kansans felt. Um, Catherine, what were your initial thoughts when you saw those results start coming in on Tuesday night? Well, I I had a couple of really um, I was alarmed because it, it was such a distinct, uh, such a decisive win, number one. But also, uh, the the turnout was really amazing. And then I while I haven't seen the numbers, I've heard that the voter registration in Kansas uh, there were a couple of spikes after that first leak of the. Um, draft decision from the Supreme Court, and then after the decision was made, was announced, that there were spikes in voter registration. 
So that's a really good indicator that the polls are right, that the majority of people in the United States, the majority of voters, believe in the right to abortion, perhaps with some restrictions, but overall, abortion should be legal and available to uh, to people in this country. And um, so th- that was a big relief. And then seeing the numbers, you know, the first thought was, wow, this is great. But then seeing the numbers, I think it's a good indicator for uh, future elections uh, that have similar, either similar um, resolutions or, or restrictions on the ballot. And also, I think it rolls over to support for candidates who uh, favor um, fewer restrictions to abortion. And I think we should be really clear that this is specifically about abortion. Um, Those laws are not about any, they're not about contraception. They're not about um, gender affirming care. This was a, a, a constitutional amendment specifically about abortion and abortion care. Yeah, I mean, very straightforward, and that's why I guess it's a, a clean indicator of how people feel on one issue in this state. Now, Tim, let's kind of emphasize for the people, this is Kansas. This was not Vermont. Mm-hmm. This was not California, Washington, mm-hmm. whatever state that people might say, oh, it was left of center. This no. was Kansas. A whole book right. was written about how Kansas went from a more progressive state on, say, issues like education to a very Republican, conservative state over the last hundred years by Thomas Hyde. What are we to make of this? Historically, we have one of the most Republican states in the nation in my lifetime. Lyndon Johnson is the only Democrat to win that state in a presidential election. Uh, the, the voters of that state, though, made it clear. I find it interesting that the first place uh, to vote since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade was the heartland of the country, one of the most Republican states in the country, or a place where the Catholic Church spent $3 million trying to eradicate those rights. Uh, the vote was very heavy, as Catherine mentioned, almost presidential primary level. 20% of those who voted did not cast a vote in anything else in that primary. They came out to vote for this one thing. And here's what I think they said. They did not say we are pro-choice or we are pro-life. They are, what they are really saying was it should be left up to us, and the courts shouldn't decide what we're to do, and the federal government, and, and, and what Mitch McConnell proposed, by the way, is not aging very well at the moment, is it? They, they are saying it, 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 it is left up to us, the people, to decide. And that's the way it should be. You took a right away from us, and we want that right back. And they said it very loudly. And I I guess it is the equivalent of 
the political equivalent of, of, of an earthquake, guys, of the earth literally moving under the electoral landscape. Uh, the, the Republicans may have a major, major, major problem. They did everything they could, guys, to win this vote. They scheduled it in August, which people don't vote in August. They they uh, they 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 told all these lies in churches the weekend before the election, claiming that uh, um, the yes votes would uh, would stop late term abortions, which is a lie. Lack of parental consent. They said the uh, it, taxpayer funding for abortion, and, and none of that oh. is part of this law. None of it. All the Kansas law does is protect abortion rights up to 22 weeks, which is pretty much the norm in a lot of states. Correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine. But they yes, sent a message. They sent a message in a red state, guys. Yeah, Tim, you mentioned that, and I think we were sent that this week about the number of voters that didn't vote in um for other races in the primaries right. and one right. thing to do keep in mind is laura kelly the governor of kansas the democratic incumbent she didn't face any real opposition i don't even yeah. know if they have a senate seat up this time and so i'm sure a lot of those um if people did either but were democratic leaning and they just there was nothing well, to vote on much or they didn't feel like just well checking the box it, for they they you know, were even voting, they, they they were even voting heavier much heavier on this one thing than they were in say local races local primary mm-hmm. races where people had opposition at the city and county level uh much heavier than in the congressional primaries all of that across the board it, they came. They came yeah. out to vote on this. Yeah, and and that and that's a trend we're seeing. Where Tip O'Neill famously said, "All all politics is local," because of our national news and consciousness, all politics is becoming national, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Because if somebody did have a contested race for their local county commission for their state representative, they should have participated in it. it. It'll be somebody's job to energize and educate these voters to vote, Well, no matter who they vote for, just to vote and, and participate in all these races, particularly you know in November if they come back out. Now, the Republicans saw this. We saw this. You know, like, my goodness, this ought to be a huge signal that the Supreme Court, which is not a legislative body, is overreached, but people right. vote on legislative bodies, and they're and executive and executives as well, and they're going to make those people pay the people. You know, this fifty nine percent that feel this way in Kansas, probably larger numbers in other states, they feel this way. And then what do we see in Florida, a state that we know is pro choice, because every bit of polling that's ever come out. Is shown that Florida is more pro-choice than their Republican lean across the board. Ron DeSantis went after a prosecutor that said they were not going to, um, you know, aggressively 
prosecute, you know, people that, you know, sought, you know, um, reproductive health care. And then, well, actually, let's talk about that, and then we'll move on to um, the next thing we saw late in the week. But, but Catherine, um, Ron DeSantis, he just doesn't care. I get the idea he thinks he's safe, and he just wants to build his conservative bona fides. But, you, I mean, you're closer to Florida than you are to um, Kansas. Isn't, you know, Florida a pretty comparatively for their politics more of a pro-choice state? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think these these uh, favorable numbers to abortion are pretty consistent across the country. Um, you know, you might have a little bit higher numbers in New York and California, but in general, people are in favor of of legal access to abortion in this country. Um, so I, I'm not sure that Florida is any more. Uh, in favor of abortion access than any other state. I'm not sure of those numbers. But, yeah, that that move by Ron DeSantis was uh, really something. That was an elected prosecutor, and he just, Mm -hmm. like, I don't even know how he can do it, but uh, he, I guess, fired him or removed him from office, I guess, because he claimed he wasn't going to follow the law that that they had. Anyway. Um, I think I think the Republicans are kind of like the dog that caught the car. You know, they they got <laughs> what they they got what their right their far right wing uh, anti-abortion people wanted, uh, and they're probably going to lose some money on that end because people are like, oh, I got what I wanted. I'm a I'm a single issue voter. So I've got what I want. I don't need to be involved in politics anymore because there are quite a few people like that. And um, and then they've got the other side all riled up, all the people who are in favor of abortion access riled up. So I, I don't know what – I mean, we're, we're going to have to wait and see, obviously, how this all, you know, rolls out in November. But I think they're in trouble, and I don't know what, how they think they're going to get out of it. Yeah, now, Tim, because we order, go back a few months. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. In order for them to win go. primaries, they've got to continue to talk this way. But yep. as soon as the general comes right. up, they've got to, like, change their minds or something. I don't know how they're going to handle that <laughs> to win back those voters. Absolutely. So. Sorry, I yeah, interrupted now, you, David. Now, Tim, if we go back a few months uh, – no, that's okay. Right. Sure. If we go back a few months – you know, Ron DeSantis, I'll give you this, he, or I'll give you whatever, he started probably with a lead. Um, I don't know why, but he did. And, and he thinks he's in this position, but he's got an opponent who's been a governor, who's actually been a Republican governor, who a lot of Republicans are probably not going to be scared of. Like, oh, no, if Charlie Chris gets in, the, the communists and the radicals will take over. I don't think anybody's saying that. And then he does these unpopular things we've we've talked about a lot of them including this mm-hmm. and then we see this number where kansas voters and i know that's different there's not a beach in kansas different than florida but still you'd have to think yeah. there's something going on here and he just pokes the bear could he have overreached yeah. and keep overreaching well, 
and he gets in far more elective trouble than he thought he would be, say, half a year ago. And on this issue especially, guys, we've got to remember that this has been the law of the land for 49 years. It's never come up for a vote like this before. We have never had a political landscape or a right like this, a constitutional right like this, was removed from the people after it was given to them. And people do not like to have their rights taken away from them. It's like, like I said, it's not about whether... It's not about really abortion as as much as it is. They had a right taken away, a right for themselves to decide, and they don't like that, and they don't like it being shoved down their throats. I don't think DeSantis and some other Republicans, like Catherine uh, had mentioned in the national landscape, I don't think they understand yet how significant this can possibly be. Right now, 60% of the American people want some form of abortion legal. 60%. Something like 26% want to make it illegal. Well, that's better than two to one. And that's not going to stop at state lines, guys. That's going to be all over the country, including in Florida. Uh I don't think he understands that that uh, that one issue could take him and a lot of people down with him. Do, do, do you get the feeling, David, that he doesn't even understand that? I think he thinks he's you know bulletproof and he can do whatever he wants to, and he's still going to win um, the election. And, and maybe he's right. But Florida, during my political lifetime, has always been such a swing state that I just don't see how you can become the most strident conservative Republican and not pay wow. the ballot box. I know the villages in that area are just yeah. wow. in, you know, Republican-leaning voters over 50 years old, um, you know, like That's other good. places, pump in, say, college students, Gen Z, that, that vote Democratic. I, I, but good. I just have to think that this is maybe too big, and he's done too much. He isn't trying to play nice and do things that, um, you know, that all of the voters may be okay with. I mean, we see in Georgia, Brian Kemp has softened a few things towards Election Day. But but, but you said it yourself. You said it yourself in the lead in how Republican Kansas is historically. Compare that to Florida or any or about anywhere else in the country. Didn't these people see what we saw Tuesday night? No. I I, I don't know, and I, I'm wanting to see more Florida polling. Let's quit polling Pennsylvania for a while. We know Dr. Oz is running the dumpster fire campaign. Fetterman's ahead. Right. Stop all the polling in Pennsylvania unless you're the Pennsylvania or Pittsburgh paper. I agree. Nobody cares about Florida and those papers like they would Pennsylvania, but all these outside sources start pulling some different states, and Florida might be a great place to start because things have changed. Um, yeah. Now, one more thing, one more thing we might can get into, and that was the end of the week. The Indiana legislature took up a bill. It did pass, and then it had this exchange between two of the legislatures, 
legislators that was just fascinating. I believe I sent that to y'all. But, um, Catherine, that bill, I guess, still goes to the governor, who is a Republican, whose name escapes me. But tell us what you know about the bill. The Indiana bill? I don't know the about Indiana that. bill. I don't know about it. I'm sorry. Okay, Tim, tell us. Well, I, I worked late on Friday well, and all day yesterday. Ba- yeah. Basically, this particular – We are excited okay. right now to welcome our guest on to the Kudzu Vine for multiple times now. Um, but the first time since she's, she's left the state of Virginia, welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, Dr. Rachel Bittencoffer. Well, thanks so much for having me, y'all. Yes. Well, um, first off, you know, we know you're now in the 4 o'clock hour, not the 7 o'clock hour. If you want to share, tell us uh, what's prompted the move from the um, east to the west coast. Well, I mean, you know, it's actually specifically 420 on the west coast. <laughs> it's a big, big time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, people are just enjoying uh, – we get a very limited time where we can swim in water because the temperature is warm enough without air, without humidity to warm water. And so, you know, when it's heat, when there's a heat wave, it does suck, but the good part is you get all these beautiful clear mountain things that you can, can't swim in at any other time. So it's nice. All right. Well, I just, I just didn't, want to, didn't want to miss something that was, you know, it sounds exciting personally, but if it was professional as well. Well, my first thing I wanted to ask about, because you are somebody that studies past trends and applies them to present trends, and you are so familiar with Virginia in particular, was a little under, I guess, a year ago in November, we kind of got a shot to the system in Virginia, a state that voted 10 points for Joe Biden, elected a Republican governor at the same time, New Jersey, Phil Murphy, who was incredibly popular running for reelection, didn't win by a whole lot. And so there was this trend that looked like it was going to be all against the Democrats. It feels like things have changed some since then, but just kind of go back and tell us eight months ago, what were we kind of looking like and why did those states vote the way they voted? Well, I mean, if you had followed my research, you actually would have anticipated a um, recession of Democratic vote performance in states like Virginia. Uh, I probably wouldn't have mentioned New Jersey. I usually use Colorado uh, as the other example. And and the reason is is because, you know, in this polarized era where mass voter behavior is being quantitatively affected, right, something you can see and measure in data and many types of data, bipolarization and hyperpartisanship, in-party and out-party fundamentals have become even stronger predictors of how the in-party will perform in the four-year, it's a two-year midterm, right? So the midterm is the middle of the four-year term, and it's a long history of the party in power uh, losing seats. Some you know, More recently, big wave elections, as I've uh, discussed that polarization changing some things. So that's really what we, you know, we expected Virginia to be tight, maybe statewide, you know, stay with the Democrats, but at a state legislative way level, I was anticipating they would lose that state legislative chamber almost certainly because of, of where the weakness of that turnout 
and like uh, vote preference for independence would come. So we're really talking about now, though, we wouldn't be having a conversation about change if it wasn't for one really big thing, and that's the Roe decision. When that Roe memo leaked and, um, you know, it was clear that the court intended to overturn Roe, I started talking right away about this is the kind of cataclysm, because it is a cataclysmic event for women. <laughs> cataclysmic. There's no other way to say it. It's cataclysmic. Even a lot of conservative women find the idea of, of the most extreme versions of, of Republican orthodoxy to be uh, barbaric, right? So the politics switched the angst and fear and threat of the left side of the coalition, which had kind of receded back because most people don't pay attention to any congressional politics. It's all begins and ends with the president, what the presidency is doing, basically, right? Um, so it really is a big, huge opportunity for Democrats, and that's why I said last couple of media hits I've, I've talked about this. It, it now comes to what they do with it, and, and we already saw one example of what they do with that um, angst and, and fear. Yes, and, and you mentioned you know how the Democrats do control the presidency. They control both branches of the legislature, um, and I read something this past week that because of the Dobbs decision, because of the decision involving the New York gun case, some other implications of, of rumors that have come out about what Republicans may want to do using the Supreme Court, that the Democrats are running like a party out of power, like a party that's an opposition party. And you're like, well, there's no way they could pull that off because they hold power and everything. But it seems like – they are at this moment. Um, what do you think of the idea of Democrats running as an opposition party? Yeah, I mean, for full disclosure, I'm no longer a pure, pure analyst. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm indirectly now involved in solving the problem of the midterm effects, so exactly what you're saying. When I look at the uh, electoral landscape coming out of 2020, I'm looking at 21 and 22, and I'm also looking at assessing that based on the fact that the, there's two parties in America, right? We get two, and you can argue about the others, but there's two. One of them tried to overthrow the government and didn't want to give up the president. So, you know, you kind of look at that and say, okay, that, that party is a little bit of chaos, right? Maybe you want to be concerned about how much and what kind of power they're able to assess. So I started talking about what the mechanics of the midterm are, and as you just um, really clued in on, it, it is – in-party, out-parties, being in charge of stuff. How do you run an opposition party when you're in charge of stuff? And, and case in point, the strategy that's being deployed is I designed it off of the GOP because guess what? They run every cycle as an opposition party that's been victimized and marginalized, even though they control a disproportionate amount of the power of the country and certainly are doing quite well in the private sector as well, right? So in-party, out-party, doesn't matter. Republicans run the same message, and that message isn't about getting voters to like them. It's about making sure voters fear Democrats. Yes, I and I've, I've been fascinated either if I read it or you told us here or I heard it elsewhere about negative partisanship. Well, before I pass it to Catherine for questions, I'll make a comment. You said that we do have more than one, two parties in America, but our time is far too valuable to ask questions about the forward party. So with that, I'm going to pass it to Catherine with <laughs> questions about things that are worth yeah. our time. Catherine? <laughs> hey, Rachel. Nice to have you on the show. It's I good like, to hear, I like to hear. again. <laughs> Love to hear from you. Ditto. Um, 
I, I, I just can't help but talk a little bit more about the Dobbs decision and Kansas and all these, uh, all the things that are happening around this. Do you think, I mean, are we really looking at, uh, uh, you know, more Democratic voters coming out in November, do you think? I mean, is this going to yeah. move people yeah, yeah. to to the polls? Mm-hmm. And and how do you, yeah, it definitely is. Sorry. And do you think that's going to help us keep the Senate and maybe even keep the House? Yeah. So I, I was talking a little bit today on my I do a lot of my pontificating from my from my public Twitter account, but I was talking about how coming into Kansas, um, you know, what in my heart of, as a person who's charged with with holding both of these chambers in, in uh, for democracy's sake, you know, I, um, you know, I, I, I have to say that I was, I was looking at Kansas, thinking, okay, this registration data is like lit. I mean, there's something definitely coming. So, like, maybe we'll get really lucky, and Dems can, you know, tie it close, lose close, maybe even win close. Who knows? I mean, this registration data looks hot, you know. And then the yeah, I know. I looked at it too, and I was and like, having, this is amazing. No shit, dude. Like, I say that because I want people to understand, okay? Uh, that route, a 17-point route, when, the, when like, the most shrewd and probably, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, blast half full always about my anal- analysis. I never, like, try to be too, too uh, you know, positive about it. So I thought, you know, they could maybe win this, maybe eke it out. And to have them blow it out tells us two things. It tells us there is a, not, not so much latent, but like a natural angst, like we had in 18, 17, 18, 19, 20. So there's that natural angst, okay? But then if you'll notice for the first time ever, the messaging strategy was effective for Democrats, right? They went in there and started yeah. the living heck out of the electorate about abortion yeah. access, about getting, about dying and, or having rotting you know, fetuses inside of you. And when you when I had long argued that yes, Democrats did quite well in 17, 18, 19, 20, but they could have done a hell of a lot better if they would have juiced the natural national uh, the natural angst with some artificial like stimulant, like some like lighter fluid basically. And that's what they did in Kansas and, and you saw what the result is and all we can do is hope I can control as many campaigns across the country from the state legislature all the way up, you know, governors, house races, senate races to uh, do the same thing. People are upset that they are fearful, and we must make sure everybody feels like that, or we will not. The other side, I mean, if you watch CPAC and you heard the rhetoric, I mean, it's not a lot of it, but a lot of it is too apocalyptic. Like, they are destroying America. America is on its knees, right? It can't survive another election cycle. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's, it's you know, part of the reason why Republican voters are so keen to, to um, kind of break the system right now is that they're being told the system's already broken and it's been broken by us. Yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic. I like – go ahead and say all that stuff because it just <laughs> riles people up. Well, that's really all I yeah. wanted to talk about, so – I'll pass it back to David. If, if it comes back around, I might ask some more questions. <laughs> you and I have Thank you so much. Right? 
Oh my God! Right. I, that's why I said like the men like they don't believe this, right? And but now maybe they do. Like women, there there is not a lot of women when you put the abortion polling. None none of the polling or voter behavior up to this point is ever subject subject of women to this question. Should there be a total ban? Should you be forced to carry a baby by the state? And you know when you when you put it that way, there's not a, not popular. Well, and I also think I saw some of the ads they used in Kansas, and I like this idea of having doctors talk about doctors and potential mothers talking about, like you said, uh, not being able to remove a a non-viable fetus, not be, you know, not having, not being able to have a, you know, a reasonable conversation with their patients because of laws which is what's happening in Mississippi and Alabama. And so I think that that um, that and this requiring someone to carry a child, I think those are really good messages. And as well as the, um, that the government shouldn't control these things. So I think that that and taking a right away, all those things need to be talked about. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to have... The messaging can be difficult, but it does work if you do enough of it. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, I mean, people are the, – the messaging system, the messaging regime, I mean, I'm not – I'm no longer fresh out of the oven, right? I've been doing this, this bit for a while now. And the messenger regime is improving across the board on the Democratic side, uh, both the stuff that I'm working on, which is offensive – attack type advertising but really just across the board and we really saw the benefits of that in kansas i mean if yeah. democrats can go into a house race in georgia and the mcbath seat or whatever and do the same message women people folks who live here the state will control your body the republican party wants to control your economic life your, you know, your take your freedom away. That's the kind of uh, frame I think is going to be most effective, especially in more conservative cultures. This is what they've been, they've been fighting about forever. Is is you know more local control. It's all about like this local control. People need to be able to you know control their own lives, and then they start taking rights away. It's it's it should work. That yeah, that theme should work. Yeah, should. Yes, it should. Okay, and thanks should a lot. Because we saw it already. Yep. Right. Okay, Tim, go ahead. Well, good evening, Dr. Bittacoffer, and thank you for being with us again. Look, this week I tuned in to a little bit of what I will charitably call a meeting that CPAC thing down there in Texas. Yeah. Oh, I got to get your thoughts right out of the gate on that mess. You know I'm fired up about that. If you've been on my Twitter account all weekend, I've been talking talking about the inability for our media to to say its name, basically, right? Like there's a name to the rhetoric that we're seeing. And, you know, four years ago we saw some pretty crazy rhetoric coming out of CPAC the last three, four, five, six years, okay, maybe even the last two. We have never seen on American soil a Nazi rally in which a republic, I mean, a major political party isn't is not the formal sponsor of, 
but it doesn't take a genius to see how closely aligned the Republican Party is with CPAC, given you know all of their guests, and many of them come from elected office for the Republican Party. Uh, I would strongly urge anybody who's listening to this and thinking, that's hyperbolic, listen to Rick Scott's speech, okay? especially the last uh-huh. 10 minutes. It's a 17-minute yeah. speech. The last 10 minutes of that speech is textbook, literally textbook, Hitler, Goring, um, Himmel, uh, uh, Goebbels, I can never say his name, Goebbels. <laughs> like that, all you do is take woke left out and put in Jew, and you will hear history being rekindled in the most dangerous way right here yeah. through one of our major political parties. Yeah, so i, I got to ask a follow-up question. Does the average American voter understand how fragile our democracy presently is? A really great question. And the answer to that is no, okay? Because I, I keep trying to get people, it's very hard for us to understand, like, because we're us, <laughs> and you know who uh-huh. Pelosi is and Adam Schiff, and I do too, and like, we have all this working knowledge, right? And so it creates mm-hmm. this perceptional distortion that we assume, of course, everybody knows because everybody knows. It's all over the news, da 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 Well, in my book that, that's, that's you know, being written now will come out in 23, it, you know, it, it talks a lot about the, the information baseline that you're working with with the electorate, okay? A lot mm-hmm. of times um, analysts, commentators on TV, pundits, whatever – They'll say, well, the American people voted and they didn't, that didn't matter to them, okay? Well, you know, that's, that assumes <laughs> at least like 80% of the working public knows the things, or at least some of the things maybe, that you know. And that is profoundly, profoundly wrong. It's not just a little overestimation. It's an extensive um, uh, overestimation of baseline working knowledge of the public, and that's why I'm trying to tell people, listen, you don't need to get into the weeds because the top-line things, the most egregious top-line things, are, that's what you must get the regular person that never watches any news, only watches The Bachelorette. I mean, even people who watch The View and nothing else are still you know, more informed than your average American. So I really cannot stress enough. Do never assume people know, you know the easy stuff. Go with the easy stuff. Make it easy. Make it salient. Make it scary. Mm-hmm. Now I know, of course, that election forecasting is a great field of expertise for you. And so I've got to ask you about something that we were kind of mentioning before you came on the air. It feels to me like the ground politically has been moving for the last, oh, two or three weeks as a lot of stuff has gotten done by the Biden administration. Are you seeing the political ground shifting in the country right now, perhaps toward the Democrats for this election. So I've I've uh, I, I wrote this on my Substack, which people can access for free if they're interested, and it's called the Midterms of Coming, and it talks about two indicators and data, polling data that aren't going to be um, you know 
subject to error, right? Not that uh-huh. has a little error, but they're really clear signals, and that's one of them is called the generic ballot, and that's uh-huh. what you're referring to, right? And yes, that, of course, asks a, a person on the phone, you know, are you going to vote for a Republican or a Democrat, or do you want the Republican Party or the Democratic Party to control Congress? And then you look at the gap between the parties, right? And, you know, I understood that as soon as Biden was sworn in, it wasn't like magic. It wasn't suddenly going to flip. But over the course of that first year for Biden, it would erode and eventually favor Republicans because that's what we would expect to see if the midterm effect is real, and it's definitely real, right? So we saw that. And then the you know, Republicans kind of like stabilized their stasis out at about a 2.3 point performance advantage over us on that generic ballot and sat, and sat there for months, guys, months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason it's moving now is the combined force of, of, the, of the stunning revelations of the January 6th committee, by the way. I mean, these are stunning things that we've, we've been told more so the backlash to, to to the abortion stuff. Because keep in mind, and this is why I was talking about the politics shifting with abortion, there's going to be there's headlines all across the country right now, but especially in these red states, and you guys know, where women are, are you know eight, having ectopic pregnancies and they can't get treatment or transferring to this and that or they're denied care or whatever. And these horror stories are playing out on local news playing out in the newspaper, they're playing out in people's communities, and it is just, it, 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 so it's not like Roe happened, and, but it never affected the people. The January 6th stuff, as cataclysmic as it is, and you would, and if people knew it, they would care, right? They don't know, uh-huh. people, they don't care. <laughs> as cataclysmic as that is, though, it doesn't come down into your life, right? Inflation right. comes down into your life. Gas prices come down to your life. Guess what else comes down into your life? Abortion once it's completely illegal. And what happened in Kansas? That's not going to stop at state lines, is it? No, I mean, let's, I, I, I think it's going to come down to, you know, I told, um, <laughs> told I've told, told people, listen, there's the, there is a natural blowback to Roe of what you saw in Kansas was an you know an effort to uh, antagonize that blowback effect. I would say that we could see some really surprising outcomes if Democratic campaigns, competitive campaigns at all levels across the board, really hammer this issue and, and define it again about rights, freedom, big government, and the scary medical reality of of, of abortion bans. Because reality is is much, much grimmer than what Republicans, I think, ever considered it would be for some reason. So, um, you know, we I think there's real potential to see it spread. Mm. i got to ask you one more question, then I'll send it back to David, because this is something we've been talking about, too. And that is the preponderance of what appears to be some really bad candidates put forward by the Republicans, especially in these U.S. Senate races. Are some of these candidates so bad that the Republicans are actually going to blow any chance they have of taking the Senate? Yeah, it's not hard to see candidate effects right now in polling data, uh-huh. both out of Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz and in Georgia uh-huh. in your Senate race with Herschel Walker. Uh-huh. Um, you're seeing about a, about a five, maybe even a little higher point, like um, penalty for being completely unqualified for the job. Herschel Walker is more, you know, can't answer a simple question. And, um, you know, Dr. Oz has other issues, but they're both not 
well qualified for an esteemed position in the Senate and certainly not well prepared to run for one. And that is costing Republicans a few points at the polls and giving Democrats a real opportunity down in Georgia because it was going to be a hard lift to save the Warnock seat in a midterm fundamental. The combined presence of Warnock and, and Stacey Abrams the dual strategies that, you know, that get run out there. Like, Georgia's got potential for an odd outcome. I I would think that odd outcome, though, would be contingent on napalming this issue of freedom and, uh, you know, um, abortion bans. Well, I thank you for your excellent analysis, as always, Doctor. And with that, I'm going to throw it back to David. David? I did want to kind of piggyback on Tim's question, ask about a specific state, um, talking about bad candidates and good candidates. I do think you know Democrats have some really good candidates running in tough races, like Mark Kelly, like John Fetterman, like Raphael Warnock. The Republicans, of course, have Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, Blake Masters, and that's a problem. But those are all in states that voted Democratic at least to the presidential level. In 2020, at the Senate level and um, other races or other years. But um, the one I wondered about was Ohio. Ohio is a Republican trending state, and yet multiple polls we've seen have Tim Ryan leading J.D. Vance, who has more than 100-word vocabulary, who was actually born and raised in the state, not giving him two of the problems with Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz have, but yet he's doing terribly in that state. Any ideas why? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that Ohio is a de-aligner, and it had fallen out of competition. You wouldn't expect it to fall back into competition in a tough fundamental, like, in party. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah. Like, this abortion thing is a whole new – it's a whole new thing. Because like I said, you know, when you hear conservative pundits on the Sunday talk shows or other venues talking about, well, Democrats would be – it's a mistake for Democrats to think about, you know, focus on abortion because the opinion on abortion has been really concrete for decades, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's when abortion was legal and people could access it. And they were pointing out road trimester tests. But I guarantee you, now that there is, you know, in half the country, at least severely limited access, if not total bans, the, 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 the kind of like the bias, the status quo has flipped completely around, and it's very, very, very bad. I mean, I know Mitch McConnell, the night that the Roe memo leaked, no matter what he thinks personally and how much he hates abortion, was probably crying. And that memo released because if other people in Washington weren't capable of recognizing how how monumental an evisceration of Roe would be, I never thought they'd eviscerate it. I thought they'd chip, chip, chip away precisely, guys, for this reason. Mm. Yes. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this information. You've mentioned the Substack. You've mentioned social media, but we want to have our listeners hear it one more time so they can follow you and read you. Tell us all the places that we can get your uh, political information online. Yeah, sure. Like I said, I pontificate, um, you know, basically strategic advice, uh, political strategic advice all day on my Twitter, at Rachel Bitcoffer. Um, I have a Substack called The Cycle on Substack, and you can get free options. Please don't uh, pay to subscribe unless you have a lot of money. And then um, they, I have a new book that's going to come out next year, and it's called Hit Them Where It Hurts. How to Save Democracy by Beating Republicans at Their Own Game, and that's going to be released by Crown. I'm really excited. Well, 
you've just invited yourself on again, which we love because we love to have political authors on. We may get you again before then, depending on when it comes out, but we definitely want to talk to you about the book when it does hit the shelves. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, guys. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Congratulations. All right. Well, great to hear you're so busy. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yep, it's great hanging out with All my right. friends down south, though. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah. All right. Good night. Thanks for coming on the show again. Good night. Good night. That's uh, Dr. Rachel Benkoffer. Uh, I didn't even know about the new book, so I, I can't wait to request that um, to, to find out more about the release date and hear more. And, of course, we've got the elections before then, and that will impact more stuff. But uh, let's pick back up where we were with Indiana. And, Tim, I think you were going to give us um, some information on what's going on in Indiana, and yeah, this, we can discuss this, that. Uh, this particular bill is basically an almost total ban of abortion um, in, in in the state. I mean, th- this one almost just uh, outlawed everything to do to do with abortion. And, and another thing we were discussing that I can tell you now is within just uh, less than an hour of the bill passing, the governor did sign it. So... Um, <laughs> Apparently, guys, Florida and Indiana didn't get the message uh, out of out of yeah. out of Kansas, did they? Yet, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, but but this this was a total, almost total ban. Yeah, that piece of video I shared with y'all, uh, the Republican defender of that bill. I mean, he was sharp as a marble. Um, and, and I'm sure they have <laughs> smarter politicians that may have favored that bill, but that guy. I don't even know if he could read the tea leaves that were given to him on Tuesday, and maybe he didn't care. Um, Catherine, I don't know if you viewed it, but um, if you did see the exchange between the two lawmakers, what were your thoughts on it? Oh, I did see that. You know, this is this is like when I, I – after being reminded about this, I did remember it. Um, this is the thing that just drives me nuts is when – one of these lawmakers who's trying to push these um, anti-abortion, these abortion restrictions, asks questions that that show that they clearly do not understand how not only how abortion works, but how women's reproductive systems work. And it's like, why are you? I mean, it's like they didn't even take you know high school or or uh, middle school biology. Um, so yeah, it's just ridiculous, and um, I hope I hope people see these because I do think that someone who's who's somewhat sharper than a marble will recognize that they really have no foundation for these laws. You know, their their claims are ludicrous, and uh, so I think we have to do along with all the political parties and uh, independent expenditure um, resources, individual people have to talk about these um, restrictions and the lawmakers who are making them. It's like a, it's gotta be a groundswell of all different kinds of um, messaging. Yes. Well, Well, let's turn our attention to one other 
subject that really hadn't been getting as much attention um, outside of the state of Georgia, and honestly, it really hadn't been getting a lot of attention inside the state of Georgia. Uh, for those that don't know, back in the early 60s, there was a case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it overturned the county unit system, and other states had versions of something like it. And the Supreme Court said, we have a one-man, one-person, one one-vote system. And um, to this day, the Public Service Commission in Georgia runs on a system in which the districts, and there's five of them, are divided up in some way. They don't really reflect the political lean of Georgia. I mean, Georgia is probably, a lot of us would say, a 50-50 state. Honestly, if you have five districts, if you said three are Republican, two are Democratic, you'd understand that. But it's 5-0 Republican-leaning districts to Democratic districts. I believe the last Democratic member of the PSC was David Burgess, and I want to say he lost re-election um, probably like 15 years ago. Uh, Tim, you mm-hmm. were on this issue more than we were. Tell us about the, you know, the, the ruling and, and everything, the implications yeah. of it. Uh, there, there was a, a, a group uh, led by uh, the NAACP and some other uh, civil rights groups that brought this, this uh, case. And a federal court ruled that the Georgia Public Service Commission district voting violates uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and that it must be changed. Uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger is prohibited in this ruling from preparing ballots for the November election for Public Service Commission districts two and three, which are up this year. And the election is postponed until the legislature convenes and comes up with a different method of electing commissioners and the court has to approve the plan. Now, the Secretary of State can appeal this ruling and they have 30 days to do so. Otherwise, they're going to have to call a special session of the state legislature. You, you know, get, get this. Now, Catherine, you live right in, in the middle of the 5th Congressional District in Atlanta, and you understand the ma- racial makeup of Fulton and DeKalb and some of those counties right there. And the Public Service Commission um, District, that covers that, the majority uh, African-American. And the legislature somehow managed to draw a district there that is now heavily majority white. I'm scratching my head about that. I don't know how they managed to pull that stuff, but it was stuff like that that sent these civil rights groups over the edge. And I don't, I don't uh, you know, blame them at all because, you know, something like that is it's just blatantly racially motivated or, or, or it certainly looks as if they are purposely diluting the black vote. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the, legislature, the legislature's got some work to do 
Are they going and they're going to have to do something in a hurry, guys? Uh, David, what do you think about all this? Are they going Are they going to pull anything together so we can have a an election this year or what? I, I don't know, and I, I do want to get Catherine's thoughts. Um, you know, since you, she does live in one of the districts that is really being disenfranchised. Right. Right. Hey, Catherine. Um, It's always been a little bit of a mystery to me. I've never really understood the PSC districts. And to be honest, I never really spent a lot of time looking at them. But it always it's always, um, to me, I've always like, felt like it was just a, um, a, a Republican stronghold. Like they just had their uh, fists in it, and it was that was just the way it was going to be, thanks to, I always figured it was, Influence from Georgia Power and you know the various probably uh, you know probably. Uh, lobbyists and uh, donors, but um, I'm glad to see that someone made because it is really important. Like, don't get me wrong, I say I don't pay attention to it, but I do recognize the importance of the PSC for um, citizens and taxpayers and especially utility users, which is all of us in some way or another. Um, so I'm glad that they took this to court and that they're um, working on it because we have to work on all these things, even though we can't all do everything. So I'm relieved that it's being examined and that it's been challenged. And I'll be interested to see how the legislature comes up with a solution. Yeah. David. Explain to me, yeah. you're from the metro area, explain to me how Fulton and DeKalb counties can be in this PSC district, and they <laughs> somehow managed to draw a, a pretty good majority white district out of that. What, how did they do that? Yeah, that Down would there. take a granular tool where you're going house by house somehow, and really, even yeah. that, you know, you could draw a majority white district somehow, but the fact that you could draw a majority white district that would not have white dem- enough white Democratic voters added to the African-American people of color, yeah. they still vote. Uh, that just blows my mind. And, as, and here's the thing. As the... You know, the outer donut, that, that first – or actually the inner donut, that first set of suburban counties becomes more democratic, you start yeah. to go, now how in the world is um, all of the districts Republican? I'm looking at the map right now, and one is mm-hmm. all in North Georgia up above um, Fulton County and then down along to Augusta. I bet they, they look like they might split um, – the county that Augusta's in, not Columbia, that's going north of Richmond, Richmond County. Then you have a, a, a one west of there and south of there. You have all of South Georgia in one monster district. Um, and then you have um, south and west of um, Metro Atlanta, or at least Fulton and Clayton County, this in one district. So you can see where four of these five districts could be you know, Republican, elect a white member, but that one that has, it actually is Fulton, DeKalb, Clayton, and Rockdale County 
I, I mean, I really I don't know which number that is. Do you know, Tim? No, no, I don't. I'm not. I wish I was looking at the yeah, map. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, mean, I, do I really yeah. want to look and see who but, that is. That would have been more of the district that David Burgess would have um, represented because he was from DeKalb County when he served. Because he was full disclosure, one of my clients. Can, um, can you see on the so, map where they are getting all these yeah, white Republican voters from for that yeah. district? I, I don't I know. Don't I, will t- I will tell you this. And actually, I want to stand corrected, and, we, and see, we're learning so much about PSC. Um, Fitz Johnson is one of the five members, and he is the third uh, member, the, the uh, member from the third district. He is an African American. I don't know how he got on the um, – because I don't remember an election where Fitz Johnson, and he is that member, where it would be an African American, but then he may have – somebody may have dropped off, and he got appointed – I just don't remember Fitz Johnson being on the ballot, but he is an African American um, that that uh, serves that Fulton yeah, Clayton DeKalb. But, but now his district. district has been redrawn. That's the thing. The legislature, yeah. you know, after the census, has redrawn him since he was elected, or or, or what, however he got there. And I don't see, according to these numbers, I'm saying how he could stay there. And obviously, neither do the people yeah. that brought the lawsuit. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, here's the, the chairman of the commission is Tricia Pridemore, who used to be the head of the Georgia Republican Party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the head. You have Bubba McDonald, who used to be a Democrat, ran for governor back in 1990. Um, yep. I think actually made a comeback at one point as a Democrat and now as a Republican. His son's in the legislature is Republican. He um, is not the same Bubba McDonald from when I first got into um, politics, uh, but he's a member, and he's been around quite a while in, in you know, state politics. So that's your public service commission. Maybe being so low profile now has helped them get away with this. Um, but but it will be interesting yeah, well, to see if they're well, the able voter, to the run vote, out the clock. The voters Think about gonna, the voters, with the, the legislative yeah. maps. The voters are going to notice here, guys, if the election is delayed in any way on account of all of this, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Well, and that's what you wonder. You you wonder, will they um, then try to throw more maps in, or are they just going to try to do nothing? I mean, Ohio played this game. Remember, they have a um, nonpartisan redistricting commission. The Republicans just stonewalled them. And the Republicans just kind of ran out the clock, and it seemingly worked. Could they try that? But here's another thing. Could it be to the Republicans' advantage if they have these elections in January 15th? Now, the last set of runoffs that happened for Senate, I think, gives Democrats, Democrats hope. But then every other mm-hmm. runoff before that, Republicans you know, strung together. I don't know how many straight um, runoff special election victories. And so that could be a strategy, too, that the Republicans will say, hey, we don't care if it's a special election at some weird time, so maybe we can um, you know, retain those seats for a little while longer. Yeah. Eventually, the districts may happen to where they're more reflective of Georgia politics. But honestly, if you split the state up into three districts, there's a pretty good chance you could do it both racially equitable and more politically equitable and still come out 
with a 3-2 split that favors Republicans because they'll have such advantages in the they, more rural part of the state. They're not, drawing everything they're up. not, looking, they're so not we'll looking for a 3-2 split on the PSC. We know that. They're looking for a 5-0 split. Yeah. But a 5-0 split may not be sustainable and realistic long term. And 3-2 yeah. would get them win after win after win. When it comes to you know, hey, can we up when can we raise rates on this? Can we raise rates on that? Can we build this mm-hmm. here and that kind of thing? But we'll see. Um, we're so much great stuff we didn't get to, and hopefully next week we can. And next week, excited to have on the show uh, Alex Diaz from Nevada. So he's going to fill us in on what's going on in Nevada, and him, maybe he'll tell us if he agrees or disagrees that that Nevada Senate seat is one of the most tenuous there is also he's a young latino voter and he probably can give us some more insight into that community particularly out west so we'll be excited to have alex on the show next week till then been the cozy vine good night guys. good night y'all good night everybody we are the heirs of that first revolution will a strong and united america still be a force for freedom